Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today it is my enormous pleasure to bring you this discussion I had with Chris Cipollone. Now, Chris has done a whole bunch of things in his professional life. He's been a pastor, a teacher, a speaker, a podcaster, an author. But one thing that runs like a beam through all of those roles is communication. And that's what we talk about, how teachers can communicate in an engaging and effective way. Think about it. As teachers, communication is central to what we do. What good is all the content knowledge in the world if you can't get the message across? So in this episode, we look at uh, the importance of engaging and effective communication as a teacher, as well as some strategies to hone your communication chops. You can find more information about Chris' podcast, uh, The Dead Elephants Podcast. It's a podcast about big game hunting in Africa. That's not actually true. It's a podcast about addressing the elephants in the room and dealing wisely with tricky issues. I've linked that in the show notes, as well as a link to Chris's website. Now, before we get into the episode itself, two bits of housekeeping. Firstly, I've now got a weekly newsletter on artificial intelligence for teachers and how teachers can leverage that in their classroom. See, I'm preparing to run a keynote and a workshop at Tasmania's CEN State Conference, and I thought I'd use all the preparation I'm doing in AI and education to start the AI for Teachers Weekly Digest. Each week you'll get a couple of carefully curated resources categorised from beginner all the way to intermediate and advanced as well as an example of how I've used AI in my teaching practice. I'll even throw you a GPT prompt to use every week. Secondly, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you like and subscribe. If you really enjoy it, why not share it through your social media? And if you really, really enjoy it, get the Christian Education Podcast tattoo. I dare you. Well, Chris Cipollone, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I know you, funnily enough, off your podcast, Dead Elephants Podcast, uh, and I've managed, mate, to scrimp and scrape a few details uh, here and there, but you're actually a pretty hard man to pin down, I think. (laughs) So why don't you tell me exactly what it is that you're doing with yourself these days? Yeah, sure. Look, I've I've had a many and varied background. Uh, I'm a teacher by trade, so that's that's good for this podcast. Uh, Primary school education trained. I worked as a teacher for six or seven years, Um, worked briefly as a journalist, uh, but then after all of that, trained in ministry, studied theology and worked in pastoral ministry for about 10 years after that. Uh, Something you may not even know, Paul, is that I've also worked as a property developer. Um, So that's just something I've I've done on the side and there's a whole story with that. But I guess if you had to ask me, uh, what am I or what do I do? I'd say at this point, I'm I'm a pastor. And am I right in thinking you've also written a book here or there, Chris? Uh, Yes, maybe just here at the moment, but soon it should be here or there. There should be a second one coming. Uh, So yes, in 2018, I published a book with the Good Book Company called Down Not Out, uh, subtitled Depression, Anxiety and the Difference Jesus Makes. And so that is part biographical, uh, my own story of living with depression over many years, um, and part theological. Uh, What what does my training say about... um, how faith in Jesus impacts and, and what is different about being a Christian in this space and how we think and how we reflect. One thing I want to touch on here is, am I right in thinking that you went to a Christian school yourself? I'm a product. I sure am. Not, not K to 12, only high school. Uh, but yes, I went to Covenant Christian School here in Sydney from year seven to 12. 
All right, so you went to Covenant, and am I right then in thinking that you also were teaching at Covenant later down the track? Well, I, I was told it was mandatory. Like, if you go to a Christian school, you have to teach. And isn't that true? Well, That's I what they you, told me. I think it is. Like, so I went, I went to Calvin yep. for high school as well, and now yep. I teach at Calvin Christian School. And I tell you what, a lot of people say that is just about their worst nightmare. <laughs> they couldn't think of a worse place to teach, but I couldn't think of a better one. Yeah. I love it. Did you have a good experience going back and teaching in the school that you yourself went to as a student? I mean, externally, it was an amazing experience, like so supportive, so lovely. Internally, if I'm frank, I, I did wrestle with it. Um, you know, part of me was like, it's a big wide world out there and here I am coming back into the fold. And that was a little bit of what drove me to try something different. But I must admit, um, oh, look, I, I can't complain and put it this way, if, uh, if if there was ever an option to go back, I'd certainly stop and consider it. So it's um, it, it, was, it was actually really lovely and I think seeing the personal faith of some of the people who were once just my teachers, I guess more as peers on a staff level was really lovely and just see them become, they were already very human, but just that little bit more human on a horizontal level. You did, you did well as a student to identify that they were human. Like in my, <laughs> in my understanding, there were these two-dimensional characters who basically existed to try and teach me mathematics. No, so, uh, well, yeah. look, some of them were that, That's, there's no doubt. So we're going to talk about communication. Before we do that, I just want to give you a quick chance, Chris. I said earlier that you host a podcast called The Dead Elephants Podcast. Now, that sounds like a pretty obscure name to me. Can you – why don't you uh, – I'm just going to lob you a real softball here. Thank and you, you. can take a big old swing at it. Tell everyone what The Dead Elephants Podcast is about and where they can find it. Yeah, sure. Thank you for giving me that 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 ball. Um, yeah, look, dead elephants, uh, I guess, taps into the phrase of uh, the elephant in the room. And my co-host Duncan Robinson and I, and Duncan's worked on Breakfast Radio here in Sydney. Uh, I guess both being pastors, we were just talking one day over coffee and just saying there's so many elephants in the room in church. Some of those are just because it's a bit awkward. And some of them are just that I don't know, you don't always hear about them in sermons. Sometimes you want some application in some areas that are a bit gray and often, and I get it, I'm a preacher as well. Sometimes it's just easier to stay in the black and white. That's a bit safer, but we just thought it would be great. And a podcast is such a good format to do it. Great to just have a conversation about those things, not necessarily coming to um, well-formed conclusions. Sometimes, sometimes we will have our opinions on them, but other times just going, look, that's been a great conversation. I need to think about it some more. Listener, there's some thought provoking ideas for you and you know, you, you go through a process from here as well. So we talk about things like marijuana. Uh, if Australia legalizes marijuana, like what do we do with that as Christians? Um, obviously there's, there's the sexual orientation ones. Uh, we've done an episode on gender dysphoria. We've got one coming up on euthanasia. Um, and then even just more, I suppose, uh, practical ones in the sense of what's happening in the news around housing affordability, um, Christian denominations, just practical theology, I suppose, but in a way that we, we really welcome the the curliest questions and the curliest issues. And I guess we have a safeguard because we can say, look, we might get to the end of this and say, I don't know, and that's okay. So that's that's the podcast. We're loving it. We're about 15 episodes in and we've got no plans to stop. Look, I've been enjoying it too, mate. So my hat off to you. You've, you've created an interesting and engaging podcast. One of the things just as a brief tangent here, Chris, one of the things I hope it does is give pastors a 
bigger backbone to address some of those sorts of things from the pulpit because I have a number of friends who are pastors, as I'm sure you do, and quite often what they're actually doing is lamenting the fact that their congregation members, they're the flock that they are presiding over, well, they say, huh, well, you know, they're just drinking in this stuff from the United States. Yeah. Or they're listening to some bloke over on the other end of Australia who doesn't know them, doesn't know their context. And I sympathise with the pastor because that would be quite frustrating. Um, there could be a lack of discernment on behalf of the congregation member there. However, the other side of that coin is that the congregation member is going, hang on, I haven't heard anything about gender pronouns from the pulpit ever yep. in my life. Yeah. So what am I meant to do? Just have an unformed... Amorphous, massive thoughts about that. Can I get a biblical perspective on it? Or housing affordability or euthanasia? These things that a pastor may be wary of because they feel like what they're actually going to do from the pulpit is pull out a pin and lob a grenade in the congregation, you know, and they don't want to have to clean that up. But I, I hope the way that you and Duncan are going here actually puts a bit of steel in the backbone of pastors so that they can give their people, the people that they're sort of presiding over, really rich and well thought through answers to these sorts of questions. Yeah, I hope so. And look, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer that, and we, we know this in Christian education, this concept of worldview. And if this really is God's world, then with enough careful reflection, there, there shouldn't be anything outside the bounds of God's wisdom. Now, the, the challenge as a pastor, and even uh, if I put my preaching hat versus my podcast hat on, often as a preacher, you feel like you need to, um, if not 100% answers, you need to be pretty well-formed in your thinking. Whereas in a podcast format, it's a bit easier just to go, hey, I don't know much about this one. And maybe I know a little bit more at the end of it. But I, I think that probably taps into something as as preachers and, and probably teachers in school as well. Is I think there is a place and it's okay to say, I'm actually not 100% sure about this one. You don't, you don't want to play that too easily. You can't do the whole just have faith or God's got it or whatever. That's, that can be tokenistic. But I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem is that we want to come across as experts in everything rather than uh, curious uh, fellow observers, maybe with some more theological education behind us. But we, we can't be experts on everything and I, I don't think we have to be. I heard some preaching advice once in a class I was taking um, and it was actually secondhand advice. So it had been given to the person who was leading the class when he was a young preacher. And he'd been told that if you're 51% sure, act <laughs> like you're 100% sure. <laughs> and he was doing all he could to dissuade us of that. Yep. He was saying that's terrible advice. Yep. Um, although as we as, let's hook back into the main theme. What I've got mm -hmm. you here to talk about, Chris, is communication. We're talking about effective and engaging communication. Now, you've communicated as a teacher, as a pastor, as a writer, as a podcaster. One of the things that really got me tuned in to the idea of maximizing my capacity to communicate well was, funnily enough, an episode of The West Wing. I love that show. I've watched all the seasons. I've watched the entire series uh, four or five times now. My wife is long-suffering, and she watches it with me. Um, and there was this fantastic episode where Jed Bartlett, the president, he's returning from a Sunday mass. He's a Catholic. Um, and funnily enough, the, uh, the priest had been preaching on Ephesians 5. Now, you often find if you watch the West Wing, there's pretty sloppy exposition of text. There's great, fantastic cultural analysis, very poor scriptural exegesis as it happens. But his main frustration on Ephesians 5, which is about husbands and wives, Jed Bartlett's main frustration was that the priest, and this is what he said, the priest had an audience and he didn't know what to do with it. 
He had an audience and he didn't know what to do with it. And that got me thinking, man, I tell you what, as a teacher, I have an audience. Mm. I have 18, 20, 30 kids at a time. And how often am I just doing a pretty poor job of engaging that audience? So tell me this, Chris, with your uh, past as a teacher, what are some of the ways you think educators might get effective and engaging communication wrong? Where are Mm. our areas for growth there? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, having worn two different hats between uh, being a pastor slash preacher and being a school teacher, I think the first thing to say is they are different methods of communication. I think we well and truly understand that teaching is not just uh, a didactic imposition of, of knowledge from the teacher onto the student, but but as much as you can, there's a collaborative process that goes on. I think as the more we understand about pedagogy, we know that um, horizontal methods of delivery can be effective. Now, that's not to say there isn't times, and I can think back to when I was school teaching, that you do just have to impart information to introduce a topic or a concept, and then you really throw it to the room. And I think I think that's actually the key and that's the privilege in a school context is is the horizontal collaborative nature of that form of communication. So I think in terms of um, a variable of what helps a teacher succeed or not in communication, I actually think humility versus pride for me is a key paradigm. Um, even what we were saying before about a pastor slash preacher being okay with not knowing everything, I think for us for a school teacher, uh, recognizing that your students will have um, not just information, but even wisdom to contribute, insights, many of them generational, that teachers will slowly lose over time or, or even quickly lose uh, over time. And and obviously with the advent of everything digital, the access to our information is so huge that I think the more a teacher can go in with a posture of, yes, authority in the sense of I am, a, I am the teacher and I need to hold this classroom, um, but especially in the context of Christian teaching, having having a humble authority about that and going, hey, I've, I've wondered this about this topic. Let's find that out together. And that just, it generates a tone of shared learning and it generates a tone of humility. And it, and it means that, and I remember doing this as a teacher and feeling risky about it, even apologizing to my class and owning that I'd got something wrong in what I'd taught and coming back to that and thinking, am I allowed to do that? But, but it was actually a really powerful moment that I think they respected. So you're talking about humility as a key paradigm when it comes to communication here. It's also, I think, a necessary part of the equation. If you're teaching, and I've said this on the podcast before, um, you have so much work to do. If you're primary, you may get one or two hours release a week. So that means the whole rest of the time, right, the 25 hours, you're in front of a class. You're talking at secondary school, you might be uh, working six, seven, eight periods a day in front of a class. You simply don't have the time to prepare as meticulously as you would a sermon. Yep. If I prepare a sermon, that might be 23 to 25 hours. That's that's pretty standard for me. That would be more preparation uh, time than I would do for um, 28 40-minute classes in a week, right? And that's much longer than I would preach for. So actually, you kind of have to go in a little more raw. I think also, though, while we're comparing and contrasting, say, preaching and classroom teaching, I think classroom teaching is is actually harder because the buy-in you need from students is more real. Yep. In church, of course, no one's going to stand up and yell or start 
start um, talking with their mate loudly next to you or start heckling uh, you or, or whatever. But that's not necessarily a given in the school classroom, is it? Oh, so I'd, I'd completely agree with that. And, and honestly, preaching feels like a total luxury, having come from classroom teaching. And I'm married to a teacher who's still teaching. And in moments when I kind of romanticize about the classroom and remember all the good bits and miss that and lament that, you know, she comes home and just reminds me of the pressures of programming and planning and marking and, and the time pressure that you're talking about and this desire to idealistically communicate something, but the reality of the finiteness of your, your time and your energy. So I just want to hundred percent affirm that and just say, well done to you teachers. Like it, it is having done it and come out of it and Again, hear me clearly, I would happily go back in. So I'm not, I'm not pooing on the industry, but I am saying like having done something different now, there are genuine challenges that are unique to teaching that you're not being uh, a diva for, for finding difficult. The Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. And this is where we want to do all we can to optimise our communication. Because that's really, if you think of all that we are doing as teachers, if you try to boil it down to an irreducible complexity, you're communicating. Whether you're communicating emotions yourself or, or skills or content knowledge, that has to somehow go from you to the student, or it has to, in I guess some other circumstances, make its way from other resources to the student. But that would be within an environment where you have communicated the boundaries and set the goals and made a shared learning space. So everything we do is communication. It is the very heartbeat of education. So we want to think about doing that as well as we can. So who, who, Chris, I mean, you've done a lot of thinking about this. I especially remember listening to one episode of the Dead Elephant podcast. Was it on, was it entitled Bad Sermons? <laughs> Boring Sermons, I think was the title, but we could, we could put it more broadly to just Bad Sermons. That's fair. Sure. And, <laughs> um, and, this, and this, we should take some time at this point to say very grateful to God for the ministers of the word. That, um, that we know, and of course, that's, that's a big part of your role, Chris. That's something Definitely. that you do. So we're not having a crack at them. However, um, you, you and your mate Duncan were just talking mm. about boring sermons. And one of the interesting things you discussed was looking to other professions to get some communication chops. So how am I going to get better? How am I going to effectively um, communicate and be engaging? Yep. And you actually saying, well, we can look around. The world is full of good communicators we can take our cues from. Mm. So if, if we've got a teacher out there, Chris, and they really want to get better at their communication in class, where can they look? Where can they go? Yeah, it's funny. You you sent me that question ahead of time just for transparency of process. And, and I actually asked my wife that question and she said, what? 
people should be looking at us. It starts with us. We're the experts. <laughs> so that, that was a teacher's response. And I, look, to, to a degree, I think that's fair. But yeah, I mean, one of the paradigms we were talking about in the podcast as preachers is the stand-up comedian. I, th- I think that's the secular preacher, or you could look at the TED Talk as the kind of uh, vertical communication of one person to a crowd and just learning the the rhetorical devices that a stand-up comedian will use, hopefully not the 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 language, but the, <laughs> the rhetorical devices. Um, on the back of what we were saying though, teaching in the classroom is much more horizontal. And and as I was thinking about it, I actually think a psychologist is probably a good a good comparison. Wow. Um, I, and I think coming back to your question before about uh, what can teachers do to communicate well or not, I think the other big piece and perhaps bigger than the humility and pride although linked, is is empathy versus ego. And I think that's where the psychologist can, can be a good uh, model in the sense of the psychologist's task is to read the client, uh, understand the client, ask questions before speaking too quickly. It's, yes, you will get to a point where you're imparting some sort of wisdom or information or strategy, but there is a there is a necessary empathy to get to that point. And I think for a teacher, as confronting as it is, to not just look at the classroom in the context of yourself and how you're feeling about the lesson, but genuinely putting your uh, feet in the shoes of your students and going, how would they be receiving this? What are their blockages? Even, dare I say, asking them what their blockages are. Um, I remember at uni just the, the lecturer just pointing out something very powerful that if you've got a class of students that have done really badly in an assessment, before you kind of point the finger at them and go, oh, they're lazy and they didn't dedicate themselves, ask yourself, maybe I didn't actually transmit that information in a way that set them up to succeed. And, and that's a really confronting question. And look, that might not be the answer. Maybe they genuinely didn't apply themselves, but um, having having an empathy for the student and going, just because I understand this content doesn't mean they naturally will. And I think psychologists are good at reflecting on that. And and in terms of a professional best practice, uh, key to psychology is professional supervision. And I think that's the other thing I'd say is, um, it's very easy to be the master of your own domain in the classroom and to not welcome in other voices or other counsel or other reflections. But I think the more teachers can come together in security and and speak into one another and support one another. And it's, it's careful. You've got to get the tone right on that. It can't be too authoritarian or too judgmental. But the more you can do that in a peer way, I think that bolsters your empathy as well as a teacher. So you're actually saying uh, one of the things that will help us with our communication is getting another set of eyes in there. So you're there, you're teaching a class, and as much as we can get wrapped up in our own mind when we're trying to teach a class, we can have our blinkers on, you're saying getting another set of eyes, even a set of professional eyes, a colleague of yours. They say sometimes the best professional development is just down the hallway, right? Mm -hmm. So getting another set of eyes in the classroom just to to, uh, examine your practice and give you some sober a sober assessment on and my experience doing. is that teachers aren't great at that in general I think there's a there's a feeling that I'm used to being the expert in the room and I struggle to 
And it shouldn't be struggled. I was going to say struggled to be brought down. That's not what it should be. Uh, struggle to, re- to refine and improve and, and critique with safety, I think, compared to other industries. And look, to be honest, uh, pastors are no different. I think pastors and teachers are guilty of the same thing, that we're reluctant to, to bring in other voices. But the reality is in other industries, like psychology, uh, amongst many others, that's actually mandatory to maintain your accreditation and your registration. And I think that if, if you can find the right person, again, I just can't stress that enough. The last thing you want to have as a teacher is another teacher come in and just presume this judgmental tone on you. So you can get that really wrong. But it, but if there's a peer that you trust and you know would do it back for you and it's two-way, uh, in my mind, that can't hurt. And the end result being a more empathetic teacher who's delivering higher levels of communication to their students. And it's funny, we can try and strain out the gnats and get really um, granular in our understanding of communication, try and push it right out into the corners. But there's some really basic things that someone else might be able to tell you when they lay eyes on you. I, I was in the strange position, Chris, of actually observing someone observing another teacher. So it was very meta. <laughs> that at is this very stage. meta. And... The teacher was teaching away and the classroom behaviour wasn't great. At the end, we all debriefed and I was a passive observer in this process. But the more experienced teacher said, look, mate, did you know you were mumbling? Mm. You, actually, you, you actually just weren't mumbling. Uh, sorry, you weren't speaking very clearly. You were mumbling. And, and the teacher was saying a whole lot of really good stuff, far more intelligent than I could be. Yet there's a deficit in the mode of communication there which means that it's just not getting through. It's just not, it's just not able to cut in. So I, I see that as a great, a great piece of advice from you. And on the, I think that I never considered the psychologist perhaps as a model for us to take some cues from. I know that certainly if you, if you've, there are some students where if you have them offside, if you haven't won them over, they're not going to listen to you. Yep. And and that's just, uh, it's almost sort of like what Tim Keller talks about with his defeater beliefs. It's going to be something that's right there, a grenade that's going to, or landmine that's going to blow every time you try and cross with that student. So there's actually a social or emotional barrier to our communication. So cluing into that is going to be key to our practice. I think that's And, really and complete disclosure, you know, when I reflect back on my teaching career, I was not a very good programmer, I'll just be honest. But where I could kind of compensate for that was in the relational equity. Now, I had to be careful not to use that to be slack. Um, but I just, I, I picked up very quickly that emotional intelligence and relational capital means a lot in education. Another group that I have been looking into and really, really marvelling at the way they communicate is, funnily enough, real estate agents. Interesting. So I'm one of these strange characters that can't go back to sleep once I'm awake. So every now and again, my eldest son, Moses, he's two and a half, he'll wake up at 2am. And then I just find myself with four hours on my hands. So I I will often listen to podcasts while I just um, lie in bed. And I've stumbled upon this one, I think it's called the Both Sides Podcast. They interview top real estate agents, top insurance agents and brokers and all this sort of stuff. And what I found these guys doing was they were huge fans of these really well-packaged, tight answers to things. Mm. So they found they were getting the same kinds of questions all the time. Why should I sell when the interest rates are going up? Why should I buy when the interest rates are going up? You know, why would I sell? This is a family home. Why would I sell it? And what they did was they actually sort of went away together and they brainstormed 
answers to these, really tight answers that address not only the question, but the things that they thought were sort of underneath the question. And how many times do we get asked, why do I have to do this if it's not assessed? Why am I doing this? Because I know I'm not going to do a job where I need it. And, you know, you can get that question 300 times and flounder every time. Taking a cue from the real estate agents, perhaps like a couple of nice, neat, well-packaged answers to those common questions might be something that stands us in good stead. I was actually in an evangelism conference a couple of months ago and the, the keynote speaker was essentially saying the same thing, that, that modern apologetics comes down to the same, it's suffering, it's sexuality, it's, it's uh, exclusive truth. There aren't that many uh, different, they're kind of different iterations of the same three or four. And like, she was just saying, it's not that hard to do what you've just said and have, fine, it's not completely fleshed out, but a reasonable response two common questions, but we just we just don't do it. Yeah, and I, I think that's something, because we're on autopilot, there's so much going on as educators, it can easily be shoved down to the, um, you know, the last parts of your uh, dying energy towards the end of a term. You go, look, I don't, that's that's very high level thinking. That's not necessarily where I'm at. But I'm, I'm convinced, sort of another pivot that we can um, take and, and look to a specific profession as educators is to salespeople. Mm. I think most of I think most of education, a large portion of it at least, is sales, because you're not selling the students a car or a house, but you're selling them on their education, because they have to be there. It's not even like church where a lot of a lot of times people have come out of their own goodwill. They want to be there. These students, some of the times, they will have actively tried to not be there. And so you're pitching in some ways to a hostile audience or at least members containing hostile people and some people who are not hostile at all, they love it and they're, they're right in the pocket already. However, you're trying to sell these people, not a car, not a house, you're trying to sell them on the idea of their education. Yep. And by jingoes, that is not something that comes easy at all. Yeah, you used the word pitch and actually that was the other profession that I had was going to be uh, the entrepreneur who has to put together a pitch deck. That was actually the other one as well as a psychologist. So I guess, you know, the, the premise of a pitch deck is taking really quite complicated, abstract, potentially, or at least initially unrelated concepts and bring them together to essentially tell a story in a very accessible package. It's the whole kind of elevator pitch idea of, you know, if you can't tell me what you're doing by the time this elevator gets to the ground, then don't worry about it, you've lost me. And I think the more, and, and again, to your point, teachers are stretched. And so, you know, uh, someone who writes a pitch deck can craft it, they can take time. So it's not a perfect uh, science there, but the, the the principles of of boiling something down, uh, in otherwise abstract ways to accessible tight concepts is an art, but it's a blessing when you get it right. Absolutely. And it will serve you. You can just put it in your back pocket and you can pull it out whenever you need it. Yep. So you've really helpfully, really helpfully for us there, Chris, define some things that might get in the way of our communication as we think about perhaps looking to a psychologist for cues. We've talked about uh, salesmen, we've talked about real estate agents and what we can learn from them. When it comes to your own practice as a communicator, because that seems to just run like a beam through just about everything you do, do you have any uh, maxims or adages that you would use regularly to inform the way that you're communicating? 
Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think coming back to the empathy one, that's kind of principle number one for me. The way that that manifests in the context of preaching and podcasting is I will always, always, always listen back to what I've recorded. And I don't do that to bolster my ego. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a very humbling process. Um, but over time, I find that that's the best way to refine my communication. I must admit, I'm, I'm only just starting to watch myself in terms of video recording. I found that very, very confronting when I first did that. Audio is a bit easier for me at this point, but that taps into the empathy concept again. You know, what, what had I prepared that I thought was going to be a home run that just totally didn't translate in the moment? And, and sometimes it's the opposite. What was that thing that was innocuous and I just thought was a throwaway line. And, and it's funny as a preacher, often it's the things you actually didn't prepare that you say off, off the cuff that someone goes, oh, that was a really wise statement. I said, you know, I'll give credit to the Holy Spirit for that one. <laughs> um, but I think the more you can actually listen back to yourself and, and as a teacher, it's not that hard, you know, just putting a voice memo recorder on, even screen recording something, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's hard in emotionally, but with technology, it's not hard logistically anymore to do that. And, and as confronting as it is, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do. Um, look, apart from that, I always try to infuse story. I remember reading a book by Tim Costello called Hope. And at the time, Tim Costello was the CEO of World Vision and he had been a pastor. And he basically told uh, concepts of aid and development through the concept of story. So for example, one of his chapters was about actually humility. It's funny we're talking about that. And he just told a story of Hugh Jackman plowing a field in Kenya and the, and the Kenyan guy had no idea who Hugh Jackman was and Hugh Jackman wasn't going to tell him. But, you know, I read that book 15 years ago and I still remember that story. And, and that's Costello's point is, is our retention of stories over concepts and preachers need to keep working at that. And you can't make trite analogies. They have to be meaningful stories. Uh, but I think that's a very powerful technique. Um, and probably the other thing is just your, your pace. And I, I'm still getting used to that. I'm still not great at that. But I remember at uni learning about wait time and psychologists have done studies on this. And when you ask a question or you make a statement and you're waiting for a response, whether that's in a podcast or a classroom, psychologically, it feels three times quicker in your own head than what it actually is. And so I think especially as a teacher, giving time for your students to process what you've just said, process the concepts and let them just some wait time and, you know, frankly, some awkward pauses at times before you interject too quickly, I think is a really important thing. And that comes with the listening back to yourself. You'll, you'll pick that up and you'll be surprised. You know, same when I was preaching, I was like, I'm speaking at a million miles an hour and I had no idea I was doing it. Um, another one was, I, I would say, um, all the time. And so I shared this in the, in the sermons episode, but for my first 10 sermons after realizing that I would write DSU at the top of every page, don't say, um, and it was just my way of reminding myself that I didn't have to fill all the little pauses with this interjection, but I can just actually make it sit. And that's actually good communication. So I hope that helps. I think, I think the other thing for me actually as well is just visual cues. Frankly, I, I was never great at kinesthetic learning, if I'm honest, or kinesthetic teaching, but I feel like I had the visual thing down a little bit because I'm, I'm that way inclined as well. And same as a preacher, I try to not make it just all auditory, but, but visual as much as I can as well. 
it's fantastic advice to listen back to yourself because you then can analyse yourself. It's not even like you've got someone else in the room who's perhaps got their way of doing things. So they, they say you're doing this wrong when in reality there might not be a right or a wrong. There's just two different opinions and you go, well, you know, how useful is that feedback really? I'm pretty happy with the way I'm running my classroom. But listening back to yourself is incredible. And you're right, by God's grace, there has never been a better time to get feedback on yourself. My, my old man was a teacher, my dad. Um, he's still in education now as a principal. But I remember him lugging this video camera that took up more than half of our boot um, of the car so he could film himself teach a kindergarten lesson. Now, that was pretty onerous. And then we had like five different converters to be able to fit this tape back into the VHS player, and we all watched it and had a bit of fun there. However, yeah, we, we got phones, we got video recordings. Of course, we need to be wise um, around child safe stuff. Absolutely, so we're not we're not we're not um, streaming it to our Instagram page or anything like that. But it's it's fantastic. We can get a really good idea of what we sound like to an outsider. And one of the key pieces of communication, I think, is not just practicing excellent communication, not just great rhetorical flourishes or um, great gestures or anything like that, but it's just getting out of your own way. Kind of like you were talking about, Chris, don't say um. You can, you can upon reflection, upon hearing back, you say, I'm, I am my own biggest barrier here. I'm doing this strange thing, whether it's a verbal tick, whether it's maybe a thing that I do with my head where it moves a funny way every time I'm um, acting somber or serious any number of these things, if you're able to look at that footage, you can find that um, you can get out of your own way really, really well. Um, and that's that's got to be 60% of the ball game. Uh, I just think theologically as well in the context of Christian education and, and Christian theology, we have a security within us that we are beloved children no matter what. And I know that sounds flippant in the context of what we're talking about, but we we are very quick to condemn ourselves as people naturally. And it can be very confronting to listen back to yourself and feel self-conscious or, or even egotistical about the process itself. But if your posture and your reason for doing that is to serve your students or in the context of a preacher to serve your congregation, that is love. You know, that's one John four, that love is Christ laid down his life for us. Like love, love is ultimately, if we look at, the, the famous word for love in scripture, agape, it is by definition a, a, an otherness kind of definition. And it's, it's important to recognize that I'm secure. My identity is in Christ. If I disappoint myself, if I find that I'm not the teacher I thought I was or I'm, I'm not the preacher I thought I was, I just want to say it's okay. You're not condemned for that. And then with that self-security to go, my, my ultimate goal, whether I'm teaching or I'm preaching or I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor or whatever, I'm here to love God and love my neighbor. And that a, the way that I love is to lay my life down for the other. And going through a process of reflection, I think is really compatible with that theology. And that's a really wise thing that you've said there. That should run um, underneath everything we try and do. Every practice we should modify should be modified uh, because we believe it will serve our students and bolster our community by changing what we do. Yep. Um, and it's worth, I think, adding at this stage, and this is something you've talked about previously in one of your podcasts, 
Um, I think it was the Bad Sermons podcast, in, in fact. This is something that you can actually improve at. People can slip into the very mindset that they are discouraging in students, which is that fixed mindset. Oh, I'm no good at maths. Or you go, well, come on. Everyone can learn maths. I'll scaffold it for you. That's actually no different to a teacher going, well, I just don't have the gift of the gab. I wasn't born with the ability to communicate so eloquently. And you go, well, okay, you know, maybe you'll never be Eddie Murphy level stand-up comic. Fine. Maybe you'll never be John Piper level preacher. Okay. But you can actually get a lot better than you are right now. Like there's no need to be carrying around this fixed mindset your whole life. I I 1000% love that comment. I think that's so true that we 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 say that to our students and yet we can be hypocritical in not putting that same on us. I I just think that's and incredibly wise, it, look, it's confronting. Really, you're calling out a, a potential hypocrisy there. But um, it's it's right. You're, you're spot on. We, we ask for growth mindset or however we want to frame it with our students. Uh, we should expect the same of us. And and again, just because we're, we've been teaching for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, like we can learn new things. And, and personally, I like that. I, I don't want to feel like I've mastered or transcended communication. And yes, at different seasons of my life, I will have more bandwidth to reflect on that than others. I get that. Um, but the the mindset to go, how can I just keep growing one little bit at a time? I, I just think that's a very sage comment that you've just made. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Look, I, I, I want to give uh, one more tip or one more thing that stood me in good stead, and then I'll open it up to you for perhaps one last practical application. And then I think that'll just about do us for this evening. So one of the things that I wanted to say over the course of this episode is that it can be very daunting for you because our whole job is communication. If you want to then refurbish your entire way of communicating, you go, hang on, that's everything. So what do I have to change? Oh, only every single thing that I do. And you go, well, well, that's a little bit too much. I might just leave it there. Thank you very much. What I found to be effective is um, understanding that not all time is flat. It has a topography of sorts. There are certain high points in your week or in your month or year. And there are certain points which don't actually matter as much. They might be the low points. The starts of things, they're real high points. The start of a lesson, the start of a week, the start of a term, the start of a year. Now, you might spend um, you might spend five hours in one day teaching, but there might be a total of eight minutes that's like the first two minutes of four different lessons. If you want to really work on your communication, Start at the start. Start with the first two minutes. Work on the way you're projecting your voice. Work on, you know, having a few wise things to say. Work on pitching the content of your lesson in such a way that it will be attractive to students. You don't have to renovate your entire practice. Just start with a start and you'll find actually um, the way that you're able to draw students in well there will stand them in good stead for the rest of the lesson. You'll also be building habits and practices, just focusing on those two minutes, which will become automatized. Right? They'll just start seeping out through the rest of your practice everywhere. So that's my encouragement to teachers. Don't feel like you have to reinvent the whole wheel. Yep. Start just with the starts of things, whether they're lessons or weeks or terms or years, and, and go from there. What would you say, Chris? One, one piece of uh, practical advice for teachers looking to head back into the classroom on Monday and engage their students effectively. Yeah. Look, I um, 
I'll get to the practical, uh, but above that, I, I've been going through my own faith journey of reflecting on Jesus' words in Matthew 22, and I touched on it before, but when the Pharisee asks him about the greatest commandment, and he says famously, to love God and to love your neighbour. Um, but there's this funny little statement that he makes after that that I think we gloss over, which is when he says, the reason that's or they're the two most important commandments is he says, all in the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, which is remarkable when you really think about it. Uh, he sums up the whole Bible <laughs> with the call to love God and love people. And so I just want to reaffirm that let that be the posture with which you try to communicate. Yes, that manifests in the things like patience and grace and those obvious ones, but also in the diligence and the humility in how you prepare. So I just want to say that. And look, to be honest, at the risk of piggybacking you, I'd actually probably say the same thing. I'd even nuance it just a little bit and say, if not two minutes, 30 seconds, not, not because 30 seconds is easier, but just tapping into the attention span starved generation, uh, the whole, you know, you've lost me in seven seconds or you've got me. Part of my ongoing training is I have a good friend who's an experienced journalist. And when I was making some videos, he said to me, before I started recording, before I started filming, what's the first thing you do when you look on a YouTube video? And I said, and I thought about it, I said, I check to see how long the video is. He said, precisely. <laughs> and we are, for better or worse, and look, to be honest, I think mostly worse, but that's what we've got. We, we are uh, very distractible at this point. And so I think I would just want to 100% affirm what you're saying and even just nuance a little bit and say, if not two minutes, one minute or 30 seconds, not just because it's easier or a lower barrier, but because we have even less grace from our students to get that right early on. And so not only is it is it doable, but it's also really, really important. Well, that's really insightful, Chris, and I appreciate your comments there. You mentioned earlier in the podcast, you've got a book that will be coming out at some point in the future. You've also got the Dead Elephants podcast, and you've got your fingers in a few other pies by the sounds of things. Where can people get in contact with you or keep an eye on you so as to keep abreast of all the stuff that you've got going on? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Yep, the Dead Elephants podcast, that's on Apple and on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's it's published on all of them. Uh, my book, Down Not Out, I, I have a speaking ministry that goes with that. Uh, the integration of mental health and faith is a passion of mine. Uh, as you said, there there is a second book coming out, but that's still in the works. Um, but I guess for a shameless plug and, and on, the t on this topic, I have made peace with the fact that God has put me on this earth to ultimately love him and love neighbor. And one of the ways that I can do that is to communicate. And so I guess that's a shameless plug to say that part of the podcast ministry, part of the writing ministry is also a speaking ministry. And so if you want to reach out to me, if you've got a speaking gig at your church or your school or a conference, uh, I'm very available for that. And I'm, I'm uh, joyfully serving that. So you can find me, I feel very embarrassed to say it, but you can find me at chrischipolloni.com. I, uh, I say that with much self-consciousness, but um, it was an easy URL. There was no one else called Chris Cipollone that had a website. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yes, you can find me there, get in touch there, and I'd, I'd love to speak to you. Well, Chris Cipollone, uh, it's been a delight talking to you. I've certainly learned a whole bunch, and I'm confident that those who have listened to this discussion can say exactly the same. Thank you so much for your time, and I wish you God's richest blessings Thank on you, into brother. the uh, future of the year. Thank you for having me.